Hello, everybody. Welcome to day 11 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. Uh, the show in which we wake up together, write together, learn together, and try to get something done on our first drafts. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. And how's your writing going? Let me know how your writing's going. Mine's going pretty well. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling it the last few days. So let me hear about that in the chat. Um, today, we're continuing to talk about character development and in particular character attitude with two amazing writers and teachers, Margot Livesey and Courtney Mom. Margot Livesey grew up on the edge of the Scottish Highlands. She is the author of nine novels, a collection of stories and a book of essays about the craft of fiction. She teaches at the Iowa Writers Workshop and spends much of the year in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I know we have a lot of Londoners uh, listening to our podcast and on our live webinars. So Margot says, hi, this is a good time for them. We actually were arguing this morning that we could make this all even harder and do a 4 a.m. novelist just to kind of freak people out that much more. Um, I'll, I'll, I think I'll let Courtney do that one. So Courtney, mom, is the author of five books, including the groundbreaking publishing guide before and after the book deal and the memoir most recently of the year of horses chosen by the Today Show as the best read for mental health awareness. A writing coach and educator, Courtney's mission to help people Hold on to the joy of art making in a culture obsessed with turning artists into brands. You can find more um, about her work at CourtneyMom.com. Okay, so this idea of character attitude is actually Margot Lipsy's. Um, so I'm going to let her get going. I didn't even, I hadn't even thought of, of articulating character development or thinking about character in this way until I read Margot Lipsy's. Uh, craft book, The Hidden Machinery. So Margo, how do you think of uh, character attitude? And how did you come to think of this as a, such an important idea in terms of character development? Um, well, thank you, Michelle. Um, it's so nice to be here with you and Courtney. I wish we could do it many, many mornings at 7 a.m. <laughs> um, I'm well, I th what happened was that I was rereading uh, a draft of a novel and I realized every character was described in, in identical terms. Um, they had brown hair and blue eyes. Uh, this novel was set in Scotland and um, everyone uh, did four things. They nodded, they shrugged, they looked and they turned. Those <laughs> four yes. gestures they were allowed. Um, and so these characters just felt dead on the page to me. And I started thinking, what is it that actually makes a character walk off the page, walk into your imagination? Why do we, you know, remember Jane Eyre in her little grey dress, for instance? Um, and I realised that what, what made a big difference was thinking about uh, the character's attitude to herself and to the world around her, how she, it was much more interesting how she entered a room than how she turned yes. and nodded and shrugged and looked. <laughs> um, and so I started trying to think of character much more in terms of that and not really worry so much about appearance, except where it, when it was relevant. Um, yes. And I didn't mean, don't mean to say that we don't want to know how characters look, but we're not looking for an identikit police description. We're not trying to arrest characters. Um, we're trying to inhabit characters. 
Absolutely. And it seemed though that even in this essay, not only just describing how a character looks, um, but you went you went through several other normal kind of character development things and came down to attitude as being the kind of predominant one. So attitude towards how does a character walk into a room? How do they treat other people? How do they carry themselves? Um, basically the air that they walk with, right? Yeah, exact, exactly. And I still have, try to think of all the other things about characters. I mean, yeah. I still try to give them jobs and departments and um, figure out their place in society, whatever that may be. Um, maybe they live in a car, maybe they live in a house, um, maybe they have a put together family, maybe they have a more biological family. So I'm still looking at all the more traditional elements of character, but I'm giving more emphasis, if you will, to trying to figure out that, that crucial thing. Um, yes, excellent. Um, and so you can also, you can find her book, The Hidden Machinery, everywhere. Um, also, all of my recommendations for craft books, you can find on our bookshop page at bookshop.org slash shop slash the 7am novelist. So Courtney, have you ever thought about this idea of attitude in terms of character? Well, I, I had to think about it because when I first started writing fiction, all of my main characters were just a thin, thin veil of myself, right? And so everyone, everyone ended up having the same neurosis that I do. They had the same issues with their mom. They had the same mom that I do. They had the same job. And, you know, it, it just kept hitting a wall. So at some point I had to learn how to actually fictionalize characters, especially if there's going to be one more than one person right in the book. Mm -hmm. So I think um, like Margot, I'm not <clears throat> super concerned with the way people look. I, I might not even no, like I'm working on something right now. And just yesterday I thought, what's her hair like? I mean, maybe she has short hair. You know, I, I've been working on this since spring and had not even thought about what she physically looks like because I'm, I'm a lot more concerned with the internal, you know. So for me, attitude, I play around with it. Um, I think I start from places of like the negative attitude that this person might have, the pessimism that they might carry inside. I write with humor a lot. So fortunately or unfortunately, the negative stuff is, is the, the unpleasant characteristics about someone are more interesting. But I do find that if you sit down and think like, actually the seminar where I met you, Michelle, a long time ago, um, Alex Chi was also one of my teachers and he said something that, that was like, what is the story that the relatives of this person always tell about them? The story yes. that like really annoys you to hear. And, and I, I go in that direction. Like, what is the thing? Like someone's having this main character of yours over for dinner and they're introducing the main character to someone who's never met them what's the disclaimer they're going to be like oh she's she chews with her mouth open but like she's such a good person right or when she gets drunk she talks too much you know what are the negative things and then you flip it what are the positive things that someone would say in that main character's absence and then mostly I spend a lot of time thinking about pre preoccupation when this person you know what is the thing that so preoccupies them that they lose track of a conversation, you know, that they 
drive a little bit off the road? What what is it? And normally a character's preoccupation will attach to their their weakness and their need, which yeah. I have come to decide is unfortunately necessary after trying to not give a hoot about that stuff for a while. We talked um, a lot about character need and what they needed yeah. to learn and what, the, yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us have, gosh, especially these days when we've been in our caves and we're coming out of our caves, right? We all have these quirks that, you know, I think they're most pronounced when we're quite young and then also in adulthood. Uh, teenagehood is a very, and young adulthood, such an interesting time because we try so hard often to blend that we might start suppressing our kind of weirder sides but you know I'm in my mid-40s now so the flag is flying the freak flag is flying so um yeah I I think of attitude I I mean it does the way I think about it which is more emotional um and cerebral I guess does affect that the way the person will enter a room you know because if I've decided like maybe they just are obsessed with their own body odor and they think that they smell that's going to affect the, the the things they buy and the way that they operate in a room. Maybe they're really proud of their body. Maybe they're ashamed of their body and that's their weakness and that their desire is to be, you know, taller, stronger, whatever, whatever the heck. So um, I think about it a lot, but I will say that I am much more adept at, at, first person or close third it I find it very challenging I have been unable to successfully write a book um, with multiple characters you know multiple narratives um, I'm really the kind of writer that needs to sink it like just really get inside the skin of of, of one person um, so as for how to create attitude uh, for multiple characters I don't know. Hopefully Margot has the answer. <laughs> so for me, it seems to be about voice because my novels have used multiple, at least first person characters. So I'm trying now into third person and it's a little bit more difficult because I seem far yeah. away from them. Um, Margot, how about you? Do you have anything to, like she's <laughs> Courtney's asking you right out? How do you do this for multiple characters? One thing I like to do is to let my characters rant. Um, I mean, I feel like nowadays there's a lot of ranting in my life about public life and other things. And, um, you know, when I try to make my characters be nice, maybe this is something says something about me. It doesn't always go so well. But when I say something like the thing Flora, the thing Flora couldn't stand about Edward was yeah, how he um, always took so long to order in a Chinese restaurant and insisted on shorts, which he never used, and how his trousers are too short, and how he won't go to a film the day he reads a review, and how, you know, etc. So I find Fantastic. letting my characters rant about each other was, was very helpful. Um, and I ended up with great lists of, of things about them. Mm-hmm. And I also love thinking about what a character doesn't say or wouldn't say or wouldn't do, you know, because um, yeah. I think growing up in Scotland, so much of uh, life is about the things you don't say. <laughs> right, exactly. So both these things make me think of, of two different things. So Alexander Chi's um, example of, of tell us something that relatives say about the characters. Yeah. And I think 
finding something there that, okay, what is, what is said about the characters, but what is the, but like, what is the complication right. of that? Or what is even the opposite of that, that, that creates the roundness. Um, and Margo, this might go off your ranting, but like my, I usually use an example. It might not be all that interesting, but my husband like has impeccable closets, absolutely impeccable frighteningly impeccable and then he leaves the doors open of the closets and the room itself is complete chaos I don't understand it I don't know what's going on there I'm the opposite I throw all the chaos in the closet um and maybe that's why I don't understand it so that's my little rant Margo but Margo <clears throat> and it's also to me those are two really opposing things but you can also think of you know this person always does this but they are this um, as a way to round out the character I was thinking, Margo, when you when you talked about things that people don't say, because do you think it's easier to write attitude uh, for louder characters versus quiet characters? I I do think it's easier to write sort of slightly caricatured characters. Right. I think one of the hardest things is to kind of, for me, is to kind of pull a character back from that pre caricature precipice to make them more nuanced and more complicated. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. You write about that in your essay as well. And it's something I was always concerned of too, because if you do really push that loudness and push into attitude, then you have to take a step back into their humanity and into um, possibly familiarize them with you or make them a little bit closer to you because you've now pushed them separate to you um, mm -hmm. in some ways. Yeah. And one of my little private rules is that every character has something that they share with me. I hope the reader <laughs> won't know what it is because often it's something embarrassing. Um, but it's one of the ways that I sort of enter into the character. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, Courtney, how do you think this looks on the page for you? <laughs> In what draft? <laughs> well, before... Before that, if I can just, I thought it was really interesting, this question about loud characters. If yeah. I can, I, if I can touch upon yes, that, please. because I think a lot of my characters, especially my first book, you know, would be considered a loud character. I do a lot of voicey first person fiction and it's, it is harder, I think, to write a successful loud character with attitude um, mm -hmm. than a quiet one, because often the quiet character, there'll be more interiority. Yeah. And it's in that interiority that you'll find the tension between what they're saying and the rare times that they're saying things and what they're actually thinking. Now, with a loud character, I think a lot of times um, people think by just the person talking and, and kind of ranting out loud a lot and being disparaging and funny that that's going to work. But the key, I believe, is to ask yourself and to know why is this person so loud all the time? What are they covering up that's soft and quiet and sad inside of them? And sometimes you dig yourself into a hole if you've chosen a loud person in a, in a first person voice. So I was working with someone the other day who had done that, you know, and he was saying like, okay, he's, he's trying to find a new editor and he was saying, yeah, but this is, you'll find compassion like, you know, somewhere around the middle of the book. And I said, well, unfortunately in this ultra competitive market, no one's going to wait that long, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. one trick that I've found that works, especially if you're first person is that, and you've got, 
you know, obnoxious character who's quite loud, you really have to rely on the other beating hearts in the book to point out where that character's soft, quiet, vulnerable place is for them. So for example, maybe this person is at a coffee shop and someone else's dog shies away from him or the opposite, the dog comes up to him, a baby comes up to him and there's a quiet moment of like him touching the baby and actually being quiet. Um, you know, it could be he's ordering and the, the barista just says like, sir, are you like, are you all right? You're, you know, mm-hmm. you're just a little frantic. Like, are you, are you okay? Just tiny little moments where other people are insisting on a pause. Um, mm-hmm. If that person can't do it for themselves, you know, is, is, is nice. Or, you know, you could catch, you could catch people roll your eyes, roll their eyes at you or, or kind of, you know, make a weird face and, and the character is going to pretend that that didn't happen and that no one else saw it, but w- we saw it, you know? So sometimes you have to bring in the supporting cast to, to help, um, to help your obnoxious main character. Uh, and then as for what it, what it looks like on the page, I mean, oh my gosh, for me, it's just tons and tons of drafts. I, I honestly, I think that for me, what it looks like on the page is starting with this person like already out in the world, you know, when I was younger and as a reader and a writer, cause I, I worked at literary magazine. So I read, I called them the tea bag, tea bag stories. Cause there would always be a character sitting by a window, drinking tea. Usually it was a woman thinking about something, right. Thinking furiously about something for 30 pages and nothing happened. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I think for me on the page, it's, it's, movement now there's definitely interiority but often that's while while we're going somewhere you know my characters are usually always doing something and they have jobs I firm believer right giving your your characters a nice jobity job or they've lost a job or they're so rich they don't need a job you know whatever but I really I believe in establishing your relate um your character's relationships to class which is another way a very important way to get across attitude and, you know, satirical sensitivities and things like that. Right. And Margot, how about you? I mean, so if you read Margot's books and I've read all of them, I just eat them like candy. um, You're not reading a lot of rants. And so that, that side work that you're doing preparatory work um, that you're doing um, before you go into the text. So for Margot, for you, how does, how does attitude appear on the page? Well, I I think Courtney just gave us a wonderful explanation. I love what you say about the um, job of of minor characters. I think it was Nabokov who spoke of his characters as his employees. (laughs) But I think in our novels that, you know, a big part of what the minor characters are doing, besides helping the plot along um, is and peopling the world, is, is holding up a mirror to the main character or main characters so that we see things about the, about them that we couldn't see um, without without the minor characters. And I think for me, um, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I do come back to, you know, the idea of character is action. Yeah. And I've come to put a great value on what characters do rather than what 
they think or feel. Um, I'm hoping that their thoughts and feelings will come out in other ways. Um, not because I'm not interested in that, but there's often such a gap between what people do and what they think and feel, a very interesting gap in yeah. which novelists um, take great pleasure. Yes, excellent. So Christine in the Q&A is asking, what do you guys draw on when you become really stuck with a character? What do you, oh gosh. Where do you go to? Because this can, I mean, you, know, you can hit your head over a character over and over again. There's sometimes, I've actually given up on novel ideas because I haven't been able to get the main character or at least the main character's voice mm -hmm. um, and or tried um, to cut a character. Like, well, if I don't understand that character enough, that character doesn't belong in the book, like, or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but, but you, there are methods to try to at least try to get inside a character and, and understand a character and save that character. Courtney, what do you think you do? Well, I start out now, I didn't always do this, but the last couple of books, um, I start out with these uh, voice auditions, I call them. Yeah. So I don't just think, okay, here I go. I'm writing my book now, right? I, I try everyone out. I make them audition. So the person I think is the main character, you know, will get five pages. And then the next day I might try a completely different character who I didn't think was going to be important. I'll try it in their voice. I'll try it in third person close. I'll try it in um, a kind of an omniscient. I literally like I'm working on something right now. And it's if, if I shared my screen, you'd see I have, I call them trials. I don't even call them drafts. And it says, trial virgin suicides because I was trying a version with like a Greek chorus type of thing and Ooh. be like trial Brett Easton Ellis whatever sometimes I'll just for fun try to write in in a um attitudinal you know voices nice. until I think I've hit the right vein and then generally if I'm really stuck which which I was recently with this project I'm working on the main character, I really didn't understand their needs. They were just completely obscure to me. So then I, I bust out screenwriting books. Um, mm, I find yeah. this really helpful because they're so economical. You know, they just, craft mm. books are beautiful, but they're also sometimes too beautiful and too lyrical. And screenwriting books are not lyrical. They're like, money is time, time is expensive, get your shit together and get it right, you know. And so for the project I'm working on now, I picked up John Truby's Anatomy of Story, 22 yes. Steps to a Something Something, where he just hammers on like you with the 22 steps, which are not 22 chapters, they're marks, kind of emotional marks you need to hit in the narrative. And it's helped me, it has truly forced me to excavate a character's creepy need, you know, that I just couldn't voice. So yeah, it's a total excavation project for me. And if you could uh, write that title in the chat so I can yes. also put it in the uh, notes for the show. Um, Margo, how about you? When you become stuck with a character, what do you do? Uh, I was thinking about that while, while Courtney gave such an eloquent answer. One, um, well, well I, I'm, what I'm currently writing is a fairly young character. So at one point when I was feeling uncertain about her, I got her to write a letter of introduction to a teacher um, describing herself. Um, 
and that was and that was quite helpful to me. Um, sometimes I uh, write imaginary personal ads for my characters. You know, <laughs> I love that. What would they say on Match.com or <laughs> in uh, if they're being more snobby in the New York Review of Books personals? Um, um, I think um, I think about people I know. I hope that they're not listening today, <laughs> and you know, I, um, you know, certain sort of salient characteristics. Um, I have a friend, for instance, who's a banker. And one of the things he really enjoys is ironing. Uh, <laughs> so I gave that to a character because I just thought it was such a great thing, the, the image of my friend ironing away while, you know, watching the Dow Jones <laughs> do whatever it was doing. <laughs> um, That's amazing. I so love that. I, I, I try to, I mean, I try to borrow from my friends in ways that won't be too obvious because I still want them to be my friends. <laughs> Yes. And I also, re I, so I, I really like this idea of, of opposition in a character. So um, this forensics book um, that I was working on, and again, I, I, tried to, I tried to sell a book about dead people during the um, pandemic and it didn't sell for some reason. So I'm still working on that book. But um, my main character is an, uh, a Chicago heiress. And I was trying to get inside her because what do I know about having a lot of money? And um, I realized that she was also a kleptomaniac because she builds these little doll houses. And I realized that she goes into people's houses and actually steals little pieces from their houses to use in her doll houses. And that for some reason made sense to me and got me inside of her character more <clears throat> also because she's a bit of a rebel. Um, so why would an heiress possibly be stealing things from other people and become a kleptomaniac? I thought I kind of have fun with so. that. That's so fun. There's this, these obnoxious videos that like Vogue does and other fashion, fashion magazines they'll have on their social medias, right? Where you'll have, you'll have like Charlie Theron just in mid turn. Oh, hi. <laughs> What's in my purse? <laughs> right. And they're, yes. they're like, um, and that's, a, I think, I, I love what Margot was saying about, you know, personal ads, but you could also definitely imagine like what's in the wallet, what's in their purse. Uh, another thing I love to do is if they have a car, right. If they're not like city dwellers, what the hell's in their car? You know, like, yes, my car, <laughs> you want to know about me, like get in my car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then we also, I'm not sure how long we were going to spend on this, but we had in the chats the, the idea of exploiting the gap between the, what the character does and how they feel. And how do you get that? How does that become known on the page? How does that work on the page? Well, you know, you have to, your dialogue cannot be a rehashing and a reiteration of what was just thought. Yeah. interiorly or whatever like I see a lot of um, beginning writers making the mistake where there'll be a paragraph maybe even two paragraphs of someone sort of internally ranting thinking or or sort of dwelling on something and then the dialogue with whoever is doing the exact same thing um dialogue is not just there for witty banter like dialogue is so important it's an opportunity to allude to backstory like Think about the way that people speak to you. They, they speak to you in such, people who know you 
speak to you in such an interesting way because they'll refer things that happened way, way, way back in the past, especially if you've known each other a long time, things that you are planning to do in the future, things you're doing right now, all in, you know, a five sentence exchange. And I think that that needs to always be replicated so that you're not doing this carbon copy of whatever you've written two paragraphs above, you know? Yeah. Marco, how about you? How do you how do you reveal these differences between what a person says and does and what they're really thinking and feeling? Well, I think, um, as, as Courtney just said, uh, dialogue is, is really crucial. And I think thinking of, I mean, one of the ways our work gets better is by trying to think what needs to go in scene and what goes in narration. And, and one of the, I mean, people say, of course, that scenes show don't tell, but I think the important thing is that scenes show us what can't be told. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, scenes I think are, are really helpful for re revealing those um, contradictions. Um, I also think that it's, um, you know, really important for scenes to have subtext. Yeah. Um, you know, a scene without subtext is not a scene you need to write. It's a, it's a pointless scene from my from my point of view. So, um, I try to find ways to have my characters talk about things that may not seem to be always to be directly addressing, <laughs> um, may not seem directly purposeful. Yes, I think, and I think another way we get the contradictions is, you know. Um, is is through um gestures and and behavior you know um i i love you flora said she picked up the bread knife you know uh, yes <laughs> it, it changes that it changes the i love you you know? exactly and so to always think about I always talk about character intention in a scene <laughs> but they're not going to be able to act through that intention or speak through that intention because of their own self-doubts, um, who is in the room, who they love, what they what they want even more deeply from, you know, I want to I want to tell my husband that he I don't know shouldn't shoot with his mouth open, um, but I love him too much, or he's having a bad day. You know, there's there's other concerns, um, and also our own um, how we appear to others, how we want others to feel about us in terms of how we're able to get those intentions across. And so avoiding that two on the nose dialogue because there's so many emotional things that are happening beneath the surface um, that bleed into what a person's able to, to say and do. All right, I'm gonna let these ladies go, possibly back to bed. No, I don't think they're going back to bed, but they may be going back to bed. I know that Margos has her big cup of coffee now. Thank you so much, you two. These are two Thank of my favorite. So I just love these women. <laughs> So I absolutely, you need to go to our bookshop page, grab up their books. We have all of our um, guests, uh, most recent books there. And both of these uh, folks craft books on there. Um, tomorrow, we're going to talk about backstory with Aubrey Lescure, whose upcoming novel is River East, River West, and Shopi Sinea. Um, whose upcoming book is House of Caravans. And they're actually both uh, novel incubator students and uh, they're going to be published soon both. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. And if you like what we're doing, you can also follow our podcast and rate it and make us look 
Absolutely fabulous. Okay, everybody, get to your desk, get going, um, get to work, and I will talk to everyone tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here at all